Chapter Nine of Blake of the Rattlesnake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Blake of the Rattlesnake by Frederick T. Jane. Chapter Nine How We Escaped. Whether we should find our colliers at all was a good deal open to question, since by destroying them the enemy could make pretty sure of getting possession of any British warships left in the Baltic. Without the precious black diamonds, ships were only so many useless hulks. As it turned out, we never met the colliers. The sea was deserted of everything save a few German men-of-war, which had been gaining cheap naval knowledge by watching the fighting. "'I think, sir,' said my fellow-sub to Blake, "'I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to run alongside one of these German packets and take his coal from him by force.' "'On the grounds that the end justifies the means, eh, Thorn? No, that won't do at all, for we should either have to stand the brunt of, Lord knows what, for doing it, or else sink the German with all hands so that no one should lay a complaint against us.' "'And I suppose you'd hardly advocate that,' replied the skipper, with a grim laugh. "'Perhaps they'd give us some on the quiet, in a friendly sort of way,' I suggested. "'You do, do you?' said Blake. "'Well, it's a pity you haven't read the newspapers a bit more. "'I think that's a North German Lloyd over there in the fog. "'We'll overhaul her and test your idea of doing things in a friendly sort of way.' In a short while we were within hailing distance of the steamer. "'German, ahoy!' called the skipper, then turning to us. "'What the deuce is the German for coal?' Neither of us knew, though Thorne volunteered quite a dictionary of German swear words. "'Probably he knows English, sir. Try him in that,' said I. "'Ahoy!' came the answering hail from the German. "'Have you any coal to spare? We want coal!' we yelled in unison. "'Yah! Yah!' he replied, but kept on his way, just the same. We hailed him again and again, and after a bit a stout, red-bearded Teuton got on the edge of the bridge and made a speech in our direction, but the purport of his words we could not catch. At the risk of collision we got close alongside— so close that her sides towered high above us, and we could hear the sneering personalities of the passengers who had crowded to the side to gaze at us. Some lumpy German girls on the promenade deck leveled heavy witticisms at our battle-worn uniforms, but there was no reply to our request. "'Can you spare us any coal?' hailed our skipper again. "'Nine, nine, ze contraband of war!' "'No matter. We must have it. Charge what money you will for it. We must have it.' "'Nine, mein friend. You English are no longer the sea-bully. You are extinguished, and your von little ship will soon join the others. You will not have the time for to burn it.' And then he laughed, and said something in German that seemed to mightily amuse the rest of them. The plight we were in was bad enough but to be taunted with it by a German merchant skipper. Blake kept his temper outwardly, however, as he replied, 
and suppose we take it from you by force for answer the red-bearded one pointed to a german ironclad looming up through the mist a four-funnelled monster that no one could mistake and then he laughed long and heartily damn me i've a good mind to blow the fellow out of the water growled blake the ironclad and steamer had been busy exchanging signals the former now drew nearer dipping her flag to us ironically enough no doubt as she did so and we punctiliously returned the salute while our late acquaintance went on her way the laughter of passengers and crew still ringing over the water the ironclad seemed disposed to be nasty and after all it was small wonder i owned to a sensation something like what i experienced when caught by the farmer in an orchard in my britannia days and i think we all felt that way more or less both vessels were lying alongside blowing off steam it was no use our trying to run away from right under her guns the only thing to do was to brazen it out as best we might the long and the short of it was that she sent a boat to us and a very dapper officer in striking contrast to our shabby war-worn uniforms and filthy decks came on board us i understand sir said he to blake in excellent english that you have been trying to take coal from our merchant ship yonder i sympathize with the downfall of your nation's sea empire but i do not think that it justifies piracy on the high seas which to put it plainly is what your attempt would have amounted to had you been able to carry it out look here sir said the skipper facing him squarely i acknowledge that but for your arrival we should have taken what we required though we should have paid for it i regret the incident but it was unavoidable the issues depending on our return are so momentous that any course is justifiable put yourself in our place the german made no answer for a while seemingly turning the matter over in his own mind then rather to our surprise he said in your place mr englishman i think i should have tried to do the same thing i regret our inability to help you for that matter i regret that our ships are not fighting side by side with yours but regrets only are vain should you by chance find a couple of our boats loose with coal in them well you know your english proverb about finding being keeping should you do so please return the boats and then he took his leave following in his wake an hour or so later we sure enough came across a couple of large boats crammed with sacks of coal these last we got into our bunkers and having neatly folded the sacks returned them and the boats to the ironclad with many thanks the german's good offices did not end even here for he held on the same course as ourselves till we were clear of the baltic and keeping close on his offside we managed to pass unobserved a russian ship or two that had they seen us would doubtless have managed to cut us off in the straits the baltic sea canal had of course been closed to all belligerent warships we had precious little coal however and were pottering along in the north sea very slowly when by great good fortune we came across the elizabeth e greenwood a big american collier flying a french flag and of her we made a bogus capture as she was fitted with the temperley transporter 
we culled from her then and there, and for a consideration that must have cost Blake no end of money, her skipper, a character named Sinbad N. Rock, consented to accompany us on our fateful mission. Our coal difficulty being thus over, we went on at fifteen knots, which was the utmost the Elizabeth E. Greenwood could manage, and in due course, without meeting either friend or foe, we arrived at Aberdeen, whence Blake dispatched various letters and telegrams that had to do with the great scheme. Here, too, we filled up with coal, so as to keep our supplies in the Yankee for another day, and this done, we made south until night when we doubled round, and thence, at easy speed, keeping well out to sea round the north of Scotland, and then southward again till we came by night off the west coast of Arran. Blake's first care on arriving there was to land with half a dozen blue jackets and march across country to Lamlash, which he reached in the early morning, before anyone was astir. This little expedition cut the telegraph wires and destroyed the instruments, to prevent the possibility of any news of our presence being sent to the mainland by that means, and Thorne and I then brought the rattlesnake round to Lamlash Harbour with the collier in tow. The steamers from Androsen and Glasgow had ceased to run since the early days of the coal strike, and we found the harbour deserted, save for a few fishing boats and a trading sloop. These we scuttled, lest their crews, putting to sea, should reveal our presence— and after that we felt safer. There was some excitement and consternation when the good folk of Lamlash awoke to find us lying in the harbour, close in shore. We flew no colours, and were at first taken for foes. Rumours of disaster perturbed even this secluded spot. Until we had steamed round the island again, and destroyed or captured every boat we could find in creeks or inlets, we let them think what they pleased of us and by the time we returned, found some preparations for defence going on, if the gathering together of a small body of men armed with sporting guns can be so styled. They were glad enough to learn our nationality, and readily supplied us with provisions, of which, fortunately, they had no lack, though the prices charged were, as was perhaps natural enough, exorbitant. This business of catering fell mostly to me, and glad I was of an opportunity to stretch my legs on land again. Though I went ashore in plain clothes, I was, as a stranger, quickly noticed, and innumerable were the questions put to me, questions to which I returned as evasive answers as possible. Even here it was best to be as secret as possible over our plans, and this Blake had impressed upon me again and again before I departed on my mission." It was as well that he had warned me, for the destruction of the telegraph, now universally known, had raised curiosity as to our motives in the minds of the most thoughtless, and do what I would, I was simply besieged with questions. At last, finding that I was taciturn, whenever my back was turned they set to work to cross-question the blue jacket I had brought with me to carry my purchases, and gladly enough I let them do so. The blue jacket, knowing nothing of Blake's scheme, could not accidentally reveal anything, nor was he likely to surmise aught that would not with equal probability occur to his questioners. My purchases completed, I was returning along the lengthy village street, when a couple of men, evidently tourists, 
came out from a hotel near the landing place. "'Excuse me, sir,' said one of them, addressing himself to me with a smile, doubtless intended to be ingratiating. "'But I understand you are an officer of the warship in the harbour. I told him that I was. "'In that case,' he went on, "'you will perhaps forgive some pardonable curiosity on my part, on the part of both of us, in fact.' These wild reports of a disaster to our fleet in the Baltic, have they any foundation in fact? The whole fleet is destroyed, I answered, somewhat curtly, I am afraid, but somehow I did not like the man or his way of asking. Deuced unfortunate. Sorry, I'm sure. Might have been worse, though, he continued in a half aside to his companion. You're quite sure that no vessels escaped? "'Enough to join with the ships left and win a battle?' he went on to me. "'As I told you before, the whole fleet is destroyed, so far as I know, and to the best of my belief ours is the only British ship that got out of the Baltic,' I replied. "'And your ship, is she likely to do anything?' questioned the other. "'I cannot really say. Time will show.' Then, remembering Blake's horror of newspaper men getting hold of any information whatever, I suddenly asked them what papers they represented. "'Oh, that's it, is it?' the first speaker remarked, with a smile, and, fumbling in his pocket, he produced a card, setting forth that he was one green, having something or other to do with the stock exchange. "'My friend here,' he continued, "'is also a stockbroker,' mentioning his name, "'Mr. Fergus, very well known and respected in the city, I assure you. "'We're both heavily interested in the war. "'Heavily interested. "'It was terribly unfortunate for us to get stranded here so long. "'No steamers. "'Still we managed fairly well with the telegraph. "'Now, however, that your captain has seen fit to destroy the wires which were so important to us, "'I trust that he'll be willing to run us over to Glasgow as a slight recompense.' "'We'll be prepared to pay handsomely for the passage, of course.' "'You'd better come on board and suggest it to him yourself,' said I, smiling inwardly as I thought of the reception such a speech would be likely to meet with from Blake. "'Thanks, I'm sure,' he drawled. "'Well, I fear we detain you. I'm glad this Baltic news didn't come a few days sooner. Very glad. Good day to you, and thanks again.' "'Good afternoon,' I answered more curtly than ever, and continued my way to the landing stage, where the boat awaited me. It took some little while to get all my purchases properly stored, and while this was being seen to, I had leisure to observe my late acquaintances. They were busy bargaining for the use of one of the few small pleasure-boats that Blake had left in the harbour. All the larger boats were hitched up to the groggy Lizar as our blue jackets term the Yankee collier. The one who had done most of the talking to me, a red-headed person with small, beady eyes close together and an enormous moustache, was endeavouring to overcome the objections of the boatmen to venturing near the rattlesnake. So, at least, I judged from their gesticulations. His companion, a dark, ordinary-enough-looking man, was taking no part in the conversation, but watching our boat as though speculating whether it would be any use to beg a trip off from me. Having no desire to be bothered with them again, I expedited our departure, and was soon on board ship once more, 
telling Blake of our probable visitors, but concealing their intended request, as I didn't want to spoil sport. Blake, however, listened to my tale very seriously. Indeed, he made me repeat it, somewhat to my astonishment, as to me the incident seemed trivial enough. I thought them most splendid examples of your theories as to the patriotism of the average modern Briton, sir, self first and country afterwards, I said. Unfortunately, it doesn't end there in this case, I'm thinking. We'll have trouble with these fellows if we don't look sharp. Trouble in what way, sir? Many ways. Still, it may be mere fancy on my part. But, all the same, I'm glad they are coming on board. If they strike me as at all suspicious, I'll keep them here, though I can't say I feel anxious for the society of these sorts of bounders. What possible harm these fellows could do, or why they should wish to do any to us, was beyond me. Still, I didn't argue the point with the skipper. "'He's been getting devilish fidgety of late,' I confided to Thorne, who remarked in return that he'd noticed the same thing, too. "'It's the disadvantage of not being only a sub,' said he, and we thought no more about it. The enterprise upon which we were now embarked was as serious as could well be, and looking back at it now after the lapse of years— I wonder at the easy, devil-may-care sort of way in which Thorne and I took things all through. We were very young, both of us, and to the young nothing is serious, and that, I suppose, is the real reason why we never troubled over the probable fact, if indeed it occurred to us, that our friends and relations would, by this, have given us up as dead, for Blake had refused to allow us to post any letters during our call at Aberdeen, and the last they had heard of us would be our trip on convoy duty to the Baltic. As a matter of fact, the news of the Rattlesnake's arrival at Aberdeen had been communicated to the papers. We couldn't keep that visit secret. Fortunately for Blake, unfortunately for our friends, the papers a day or two later contained a brief report of how, putting south from the Scotch port, the Rattlesnake had been attacked and sunk by French cruisers, all on board being lost. This, however, I did not hear of till long afterwards. I thought when I heard it, and still think, that Blake himself was in some way responsible for this report getting afloat, though in what fashion he managed it I cannot surmise. End of chapter.